preaching on the message, the passion of Easter. Verses 11 through 14 deals with Mary's passion. And then verses 15 through 17, we break it down into the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We realize as we read verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping, and as she wept and stooped down, looked into the tomb. That's verse 11 of chapter 20 of John. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus, notice this, had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. This morning, I want to just, in some small way, stir our thinking and our spirits into a place of once again being coming passionate for someone who deserves it more than anyone else, and that is Jesus Christ. We realize that Mary's passion was one of a strong one she had for one that she thought was actually dead. She was so passionate as to where to find him. This morning as I stand before you, we need a passion so strong for the one who is alive. We need to tap into that. We need to have that within our lives. Mary was an emotional wreck. Her Savior was missing. And I raised the question in this morning in the service, a couple of questions in all of this. Is our passion that strong that we realize that he is even missing? How many of us as believers and professing Christians, we know about Jesus, but the passion that we once possessed, the passion that we once had is no longer there and it's missing. My question is this, if you filed a report with the police, would you be able in some small way to tell them, where was the last time that you were with him? Where was the last time that you actually had contact? And what would your response be? For many of us, we couldn't say. I want to just, for a moment, and it's amazing how we can file away services. I mean, this message uh, that I'm preaching today, you're going to put it somewhere. It's not going to be in the forefront of your mind. If you ask for sometimes, that's a little discouraging. By the time you get to the parking lot, your ability to recall has already called and it's left and, you know, that kind of thing. That goes with the job description. If you recall last Sunday, we were in the house of God. There was one particular person that was very passionate about calling us to a place of renewed love and vigor for the Savior. But she wasn't the only one. Microphones went in many faces and many people said many varied things. What that service really was, was a call to passion. I don't really need to make it valid, but this message is validating exactly what we did last Sunday. You and I need that passion. Let me just say this to you and I as folks of White House. I believe that we have within our grasp the ability to be men and women that are passionate for Jesus Christ. To where it isn't something that it takes a long, lengthy worship session 
or someone like me, a loudmouth standing up here yelling and screaming, is something to cause a stirring. I believe that before we walk through those doors, we should already be passionate. I want to be in the house of God. I want to find Jesus. I want to experience Him. I want to know Him. I'm just telling you, that's where I am at. I know what where I journey. I know what my weeks consist of. And I'm telling you this, if there was not within the fiber of my soul a hunger and a desire for Him, I couldn't make it. There's too much junk out there. There's too much sin out there. There is just too much trash out there that you've got to walk through. And I'm not just talking little small shoes. You need hip boots to walk through some of that stuff. And if you and I do not hold and possess a passion, but it only lasts long, you know what? Just every, I haven't had one of these for a while, but I have a seltzer. You know, you drop it in and it fizzes for a little bit, then it just goes flat. That's the way some of us are. We drop into after seltzers on a Sunday morning. We get all fizzed up, walk out of the house of God and say, what was that all about? I'm talking about a passion that will keep us, that will hold us, that will make us stay on to God and say, God, I'm not going to let go till you bless me. You and I cannot afford as Christians here today to slip into a place of saying, well, he knows where I am. And he knows how to reach me. And if he wants to move me, he can move me. I wish God would sometime. About scared the daylights out of some in the church. I wish he would just reach down and go, you know, and, and all of a sudden, we, we, you know. But, but he knows where I am. I'm going to tell you something. That's not going to work. It's not going to last. After a while, you will begin to drift further and further away from him. Let me tell you something. It's the passion that keeps you up close and personal with Jesus. Now, I'm not talking, and as you can tell, I'm usually not this emotional, but I'm not speaking about running around the church like a Jericho march or swinging by the lights. And I'm speaking about something that is of the heart. I have two illustrations this morning that I just want to use. One is my mom. When I was 12 years old, she was in her 40s. She came down with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Her hands were all snarled and twisted. Her knees did not work. She'd still go to church, and somehow or another, that little lady would play that organ. And uh, in the midst of all of that, mom was confined to her recliner, but that didn't stop her from being passionate. She sat in that recliner. She cried, and she wept before God. I remember her telling me one day, she'd say, Son, I, Rod, I just wish that I could have a chance to go back to that place where I could get on my knees and just pour my heart out to God, ball and squall, and exert the energy that I once did. At this. But even in that confined state, her heart was still passionate for God. That's what I'm talking about. My sister vows and declares that if it wasn't for my mom's prayers for her kids. All three of them are serving God today. She said she wonders if they'd all be serving God. I remember Pops three weeks ago before he died, going to his house and getting there and singing and sharing and just having a little little home house meeting service. And he laid over there and he would sing with oxygen, stuck up his nose, 15 liters of oxygen just so he could breathe. If he said something, it would suffocate him. And, but in the he's, he was just singing up a storm. And I'll never forget, he said, uh, I 
pastor, he said, uh, I'm Rodney. He says, uh, pray that when God's ready for me, he'll take me and get me out of here. Here's a man whose heart is not of this world. He was on the hereafter. Now, there's a verse of scripture in 2 Timothy. I want us to chapter 4, verse number 8. I want you to see this. It says that in the very last of it, it says, but not to me only, but also to all that have loved his appearing. If I were to ask you today to raise your hand and say, how many want to go to heaven? Then I ask you, how many want to go to hell? I mean, most, well, I think the majority would say you want to go to heaven. Church, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. He's coming for those that love his appearing. It isn't, he'll find me somewhere. No, I'm loving his appearing. I can't wait to get there. Like I told the crowd on the, the first service, you know what I'm talking about. You, talk, you know those little grandkids and those little kids, when they know grandma's coming to the house, they find a window that they can look out of, and brother, they station themselves there until that car rolls up, and then they start this dance, and they're just all excited. Church, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about men and women of God at our church that are so passionate that we're looking for him. You know, it used to be in, in the early church, first century, they would say, Maranatha, our Lord cometh. The coming of Jesus Christ was at the very forefront of their thinking and everything that they did. Now it's almost a, a something that's obsolete, but God is calling us that if you wanted to take it out, You've got to be ready to love his appearing. I can't wait. Don't worry if they call you fanatical or crazy. It does not matter. I'm looking to get out of here. I'm going to be straight up with you. If that doesn't excite you, the coming of the Lord, I wonder, do you really know he's missing? I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that's very inspiring to me. Mary's passion was almost like a call, a challenge for us to move into. But when I talk about our Savior's passion, it excites me, it fills me with joy, it makes me feel secure. The actual passion of my Savior started all the way back on Calvary. Matthew 26, verse 53, where Jesus said to his followers and to those that came to take and arrest him, he says, I can call 72,000 of the heavenly host, the angels, and they'll be here in a split second. The angels, from the time that Jesus was brought to that place of arrest, all the way through, I am convinced they were on high alert. I believe that their flaming swords were drawn. 72,000 just waiting for a call from Jesus to say, I've had enough. And that's all it would take. From the time of the cross to the time that he hung on the cross. And then all of a sudden, they stepped down. And I'll tell you when. And Jesus said, Father, and I'm sure their ears were pricked and ready. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And I can see the angelic host taking their swords and sliding them back into their sheaths. Because they knew the game was over. They knew that the Savior intended to go all the way. First service, I said this to the congregation, and I, the Lord told me I need to do this too here. But 
there's somebody there, I don't know, in the first service, someone come up to me and said, you're right, you're talking to me. But there's somebody in the house today that you're on high alert. All it takes is someone to mention that person's name, or you see their picture, or you pass it in an automobile, and all of a sudden, you react. God wants you to know that on this Easter Sunday morning, if you only say, Father, forgive them when they don't know what they did. And if you will say, Father, I choose to forgive them also, I promise you this, this will be the best Easter you've ever had. Your Easter will turn good, the bitterness, the anger, you will then find yourself moving on in a direction that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. But you've got to make the move. You've got to step down, and you've got to say, Father, I forgive. So I don't know who it is. I don't need to know. But God does. It started on the cross, but it is finishing in the temple of God. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 19. The Word of God says this, that the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of the covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightning noises, thunder, and earthquake, and great hail. The fact is, many people do not understand and realize that in the whole economy of heaven, there is the temple of God. And it was there that Jesus, in his direction, coming out of hell, conquering hell, taking the keys of death and hell, and he was on his way with the blood covenant in his hand to take it to the altar. It was at that altar that mankind would then, as he says in verse 17, verse 17 declares that now he is now your father. He is now your God. All of a sudden, everything about the whole picture of serving God is going to change, all because of Jesus Christ and his willingness to die. And once that blood is placed on that ark, mankind is now ready to be seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Well, this is where I get happy, and if I wasn't in the text, you'd think I was nuts. I believe that Jesus was on his way to the Father. I don't believe that he was journeying alone. I believe there were multitudes upon multitudes of angelic hosts that was traveling. It was the greatest triumphant entry that heaven had ever seen, because Jesus was on his way to change everything. The Word of God says, so you don't think I'm off the rocker here. Jesus in verse 17 says, Do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. Say, so what are you driving at, Pastor? If you can take an imagine with me, here is our Savior on his way, going faster than the speed of light. Angelic host rejoicing at what has been done and accomplished at Calvary of the grave. And as he makes his way towards that temple in heaven, all of a sudden Jesus says, heaven can wait. Heaven can wait. I'm sure just as you are and I am and as the angels were, they were shocked. Heaven can wait for what? Heaven can wait for this. To see our Savior's passion displayed for all to see. And may I be poetic for the likes of you and me. Go to verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
he's seeking. She's supposing him to be the gardener, said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I'll take him away. He stopped for her. Wrap yourself around this. Heaven's going to wait for her. It was not her talents. It was not the power that she possessed. It was not her physical beauty. It was not her wealth. But I want you to wrap yourself around it. It's something that everyone about experiences in our lifetime. Verse number 15, bring it back up if it's not there. The fact is, she was weeping and the woman was seeking. And you probably, even in this last week, you found yourself weeping somewhere. You found yourself looking for something. This is something normal that all of us experience. And for that reason, Jesus said, Heaven can wait. That don't blow your mind, brother. Maybe I don't have much. You may have more. Here's this whole together better. But it blows my mind. And it wasn't of all the pomp and circumstance. It was just a woman that was crying and weeping and seeking for her Savior. Church, I'm convinced that every time we walk through those doors, we hold those two commodities in our hands and we can use them to bring heaven down. You get excited? Yes, I do. I serve a Savior that's alive forevermore. I'm telling you, as she was weeping, what does that show? It shows emotion. It shows a heart that is looking for something. If these guys don't talk to and say, you, you can tell they're emotional. Yeah, they, they talk that trash. Efficient? Man. Some of them's golf. Some of them's this. Oh, man, don't get to talking to these guys that's in the NASCAR. I mean, anyway, they just talk your head off. I mean, they're passionate about it. Yeah, I mean, they're seeking what, man, find out something new, find out something. Let me tell you something. If we can harness that seeking and go looking for Jesus in that light, you'll never be the same. You'll always want more. Not only was that emotion of the heart there, but she was seeking. She had determination. I drove through many a road in many a county, many communities. Everywhere I looked, it was having an Easter egg hunt. Why did I bring back the days? I was telling the folks on first service, Dad pastored when I was first grade, and smaller, I don't know, in Romney, West Virginia, they had they had big old uh, Easter egg hunt, and they had one egg that was a special egg, and if you want that, you got this big old chocolate bunny. Man, I looked, I loved it. I was seeking for, I never found it. Somebody always did. But I always get a blessing of watching these little kids stumbling and fumbling and tripping and rolling and picking up eggs for all their work. They'll spill the whole bucket out. They'll run and pick them all up and keep on getting it. They're determined. When it's all done, they're looking for more. What do you mean? There's no more eggs. Determination. I have preached for 35, 38 years. And I have yet to experience this in any church I've been in whether I've been preaching or someone else preaching. To have one dear old faithful saint say, Pastor, the service was too short. I want us to stay longer. Now it's usually, and you are dismissed. But you know, the ushers, they just open the doors. 
stay here, you notice they don't stay in there. They're smart. They get run over. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a bad dash to the altar? I get a kick out of some of these folks in this church, they say. You preaching? I'll wear my steel-toed shoes. Oh my God, he's going to beat me up today. You want Jesus to show up? Show your heart of emotion. You want Jesus to show up? Show determination. One of the worst things you can do when people distract you, people will pay huge amounts of money to sit on the front row of a basketball court. We can't give them away. I mean, if you get distracted by what's going on, there's not a problem. Don't stay home. Just move on. Let's go back to verse number 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is the same teacher. He knew her name. Not what she was. Not what she was. It wasn't, aren't you the woman that had seven devils in you? No, it was Mary. He knows your name. It may be the kind of person that you have to say, you call me anything you want, just say you call me for supper. But maybe that you fit that category, I don't know. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He's concerned about you. He doesn't reference back all your junk. He only looks at you and says, Mary, I'm here to meet with you. Isn't it amazing how people remember stuff on us? I was a preacher's kid all my life, and it was amazing when Dad would go back to visit churches. I remember you guys. Talk about me, I'm a dad. I remember when your dad took you in that nursery and beat the living daylights out of you. I do, I, yeah. I remember when you crawled up under them seats and just kept moving. And then, well, they remember, you know, they never forget. People may remind you of things. But when he meets up with you, he calls you by name. And he loves you for who you are. I want you to see verse 17 with me. I know this message is, does flow, but it's, kind of abrupt because there's points that I want to like drive it in a nail with a hammer. And Jesus said to her in verse 17, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. Just bear with me just a minute and know this. He knows our natural reaction to want to grab a hold of him. When you have a passion for Jesus Christ, I've been there. My relationship with him maybe is different from a lot of people. I don't put an earbud in my ear when I ride down the road to talk, but I'm talking all the time, just talking to the Lord. Lord, I love you. Thank you. God, thank you for not letting me get hit. And Lord, thank you for looking at me. And I just talk to him. It's real. It's personal with me. I mean, you know, people say, you're crazy. Thank you. I resemble that. I don't have a problem. But Jesus knew the reaction that when she realized, Rabboni, Master, you are the Lord, she wanted to reach out and touch you. He says, do not touch me, for I'm not going to the Father. What he was saying is this. He says, don't hug me now. The church, can I just say this to you? He's ready for a hug. He's ready for a hug. He's ready now. Now, come on. If you've been around kids or you know kids, when you look at that child and you say, that, come on, baby, give me a hug. And they look up at you and say, no. You know, like a pinball machine on tilt. I mean, it's just, oh, my God. What did I do? Jesus is saying, can I have a hug? Please. Almost to the point of please. I want a hug. That's what passion is all about. 
I love to watch kids, I, you know, and, and parents and grandparents. They live in certain different places, and when the kids get to church and they see grandparents or whatever, you just see them make a hard run. I know I may be beating a dead horse here, but I'm telling you one thing. God is looking for men and women in White House Assembly of God that will step to the occasion and say, I'm here to hug Jesus. There's a song that I used to sing, and we used to sing in the church quite a bit, on the beat his hand and steady. Reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus. So that others may know and be blessed. It affects you, friend, when you touch him, and he is looking for us to reach out and touch him in his presence. Jesus told heaven to wait. And he showed up in her garden. Mary's was a garden of loss. She had lost a misplaced of Savior. I'm here to tell you, church, I don't know what garden you're in. You may be in a garden of suffering and pain. You may have found yourself in a place, a garden of disappointment. But I want you to know this one thing. There is not a garden that he will not visit. He will walk through your stuff even though you say, I, there's, there may be family, I, I'm not going to deal with your stuff. There may be friends, I'm not going to deal with your stuff. And Jesus will show up in that place and say, let's go through this together. You say, really? Yes, yeah, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your He walks beside me. He is with me. There is not one thing that happens to me. He's in my garden. And some of you are here. He's a, maybe a garden of despair, a garden of depression. There is no garden. That he, maybe it's an addiction. You may have an addiction that you have and you try to keep it from him. You can't keep it from him. He's in your garden. And he's reaching out to you. And he calls you by name. All he wants you to do is turn around. Mary turned around. And she recognized her Lord. And God is saying to each and every one of us, turn around. Recognize your Lord today. And see if I don't do miraculously. 